0: Welcome to Fountain Springs. We are so glad that you're here. Those of you joining us online, wherever you may be, thanks for joining us. And also, the guys at RCMU, thank you for allowing us to be a part of your family, but also vice versa, you being a part of our family. We are excited that you're with us. And last but not least, those at East, those at West, glad that you're here. Let's get right into this this next week of cliché. And what we're talking about this week is what goes around comes around. I was waiting for you guys to see if you're paying attention. I like interaction, so you can interact with me, all right? But what goes around comes around. Another way to look at this is karma, right? So if you do good things, if you do what God has asked you to do and you follow what he has asked you to do, then good things will happen to you. And if we really press into this and we really understand this, if we believe that, and if we lean into that, and we kind of, even if we don't believe it fully, but we kind of go, hmm, yeah, maybe a little, we also believe the opposite is true. That if you do bad things and you go against what God has for you and you miss a church service, then bad things will happen to you. It's that premise that if you follow God, good things. If you don't, bad things. So we have these unfounded and unrealistic expectations about what it means to follow God and what should happen when we do so. And what I'm talking about here is if we follow God, our finances should be good. If we, and never laid on bills. If we follow God, our health should be good. And we shouldn't have problems and pain and things of that nature. If we follow God and seek what He's doing for our lives, our kids should turn out good no matter what we do as parents. Agreed? That's the myth that comes. We believe good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. This is what we're taught as kids. This is what we're taught as kids. The, one of the top 10 things, all right, and I don't know if you guys knew this, but there's a top 10 things that you should teach your kids. This is one of them. Life is fair. <laughs> but this is what we do we tell them to share, and because Susie gets half and Billy gets half, and that's fair. And we realize and we all chuckle that life is not fair, but in the grand scheme of things, we really want it to be fair. Well, In our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, we're like, life should be fair. Where do we get this idea? Where does this, what goes around comes around, where does that come from? Well, it's actually rooted in a couple different religions, if, if you didn't know this. It's, it's, it's mainly rooted in Hinduism and Buddhism. There's a couple other smaller ones that I couldn't even pronounce, and so I just left them off my sheet. Um, but those are the two main things. But the other thing is that if you realize in our culture, it's everywhere. You just go to TV and you turn it on. If you, I'm a blipper. I don't know if anybody else is a blipper. I'm a blipper. So I find what I want to watch. And you will... Evidently, that will come up. What goes around comes around. Karma. If you do good, good things will happen. A couple weeks ago, I don't know how many of you um, were here, our lead pastor, Pastor David, who I love dearly, he, was, he, was, he had a great example. and He, he used cats <laughs> and dogs. And he, and he proceeded to say that cats are evil. This is, this is not coming from my mouth. This is coming from him and that dogs are, in turn, not evil. I don't remember his point, but I just remember the the cats and dogs. And here's what I, now, I have a dog. His name's Dakota, which was way cooler when I lived in Illinois. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so cool now that I live in South Dakota. Um, And he's a great dog, yellow lab, big dog. And I'm not a big cat fan, I'm an animal fan. I love animals, any kind of animal. So I'll pick up cats, play with them, all that kind of stuff. I think cats make great dryer sheets right? Um, But I love animals. So in turn, I do love cats, even though I will never own one. But I want to show you a karma cat video that I believe all you who love cats, hopefully you got my back on this one. Watch this. What goes around comes around? Is that really a myth? Interesting. Now, so we get it all throughout our culture, but actually in Scripture, I can kind of grasp how how we can also get it. Because this is actually between 10 and and 15 verses you can kind of pull out of Scripture. And if we look at these verses with a particular lens, it kind of defends this. Here's the first one, John 10, 10. And you may know this one. The thief comes only to kill and destroy. You understand what that means? That's Satan evil, bad, comes to kill and destroy. I have come, talking about Jesus, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other translation actually talk about have it to the fullest. They use the word abundance in some places. And so what we may do if we just pull this out of scripture and take this, what we may do is go, God really wants me to have this abundant life. If we just look at this and just say, this is just just purely this verse, God wants me to have stuff. God wants me to be comfortable. He wants me to have, it's a wonderful life. And have it all work out. But here's what I challenge you to do when it comes to scripture, is that never just take one passage of scripture. Never just take one verse. Always take three to 10 verses after and three to 10 verses before, because what's happening is, is this verse is in a story. And this verse is actually, the book of the Bible is one story. And this is one, one part of that big story. And if we just take one verse, we can actually think that Jesus was a really sad man because he wept. Because that's a one verse in scripture, and so what we need to do is look at this verse and actually go, this is a little bit deeper, that it's not talking about stuff. It's not talking that we can have this abundant life here on earth. What it's talking about is knowing and being known by Jesus as you look at the entire story. Now here's another one, James 4.2. You do not have because you do not ask. Dear God, I would like 10 million dollars. I would switch that. I'm going big, God. I'm going to go for 100 million. We do that to an extent, but we look at that one verse and we go, you do not have because you do not ask. What does that mean? So let's let's keep going. James 4, 3 actually says this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Hmm. So if we take one passage of scripture we look at that and we go, yeah, well, this totally backs this up. This myth, it backs this, what goes around, comes around. But as you look at the entire story, the sections of scripture around it, it's not true. And like I said earlier, there's probably 10 to 15 verses that talk about this idea, what goes around, come around, this idea of karma And it gives us this impression the way that life is supposed to be. That life is supposed to be one of those reclining chairs. And they even have them now. I sat in one the other day. You push a button. Oh, my. And you recline back. Because we want life to be comfortable. And what we think about is that when you go through life, and let's just say you've got neighbors and you're looking over to Billy Bob's house, and and you're looking and you're comparing what's going on to Billy Bob's house, and you're going, oh man, he must have made some wrong decisions. He must not be following God. Because of the things that they're walking through at that point, we go into that. We think that there is a wonderful plan for our lives, and there is. But it may not be what we expect. Now here's the way I don't, and and, and hear me on this, I don't want you to hear this, and and what happens is we'll start walking through life, and things are going really good, and this is what we'll do. And we'll start looking behind us, and we're waiting for that bad thing to happen. We're waiting for the hammer to like, bam, fall, because things are going good. That's not the way we live our lives either. Let's look at a story that will give us some articulation to this, the pain that comes from this myth and and the confusion that this myth brings, all right? And this is a story, it's going to read it in Psalms, and if you know anything about the book of Psalms, it was mostly written by David. Many people think that the whole book of Psalms was written by David, but there's pockets of Psalms that were written by other people, and this one was written by Asaph, all right? Weird word. It's not something you probably have heard of much, Um, but Asaph was actually David's Worship leader. Now, if you know anything about worship leaders, they're a little different. (laughs) Okay. And some of you are like, oh yeah." yeah. I mean, they, they roll their pants and do, they just, yeah, wear skinny jeans, all that kind of stuff. Um, So you have to take this one with a grain of salt because it's written by a worship leader. But let's take it. So here it is. Psalm 73, 13 through 14. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure, and I have washed my hands in innocence. So if you translate this to kind of our language today, he's going, I have lived my life the way God wants me to. I have done things right. I'm following what you have for my life. I've kept my heart pure. I've washed my hands in innocence. But listen to this. All day long I've been afflicted. Not some of the day, all day. And every morning brings new punishments. So you hear his pain and his agony. He's going, all day long I have been afflicted. And every morning brings these things that I just, I can't even begin to handle. And you know what he's doing. He's looking over that fence. And he's going, how come they have that? How come their life seems to be going so well? And here's what I love about this passage of scripture. Let's read, I'll I'll read on, then I'll explain. Next, next, next section. When I tried to understand all this, It troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understand their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. This is huge. When I, that's a key word, understand. When I tried to understand this. Here's the way we pray a lot. We tend to go to God and and we tend to pray politically correct prayers. God, I love you. Things are just so good. God, just, oh, you're amazing. And we can walk into church even, and, and, and I think this church is better than most, but we can walk into church and, and how you doing? Oh, life's awesome. Dog died this morning. You got a, you got a car wreck. You actually got a ticket after the car wreck because the car still drove and the cops are like, no, you don't get the, you know, and you just, your house caught on fire, but you walk into church and everything's like, life's so good. Right? And that's what he's saying in this verse. He's saying, you can go to God and you can even dump the junk that's going on in your life and it's okay. If you don't understand something, ask him. And what he's doing there is he's seeking understanding. Here's the first thing that you need to do. You need to connect with God. You need to come to that point where on a daily basis you're entering the sanctuary of God. And it's not necessarily talking about, you know, coming into a church like this. It's talking about you spending time building into a relationship with your Heavenly Father. And you have to connect with God. I'd even take it a step further and go this. You can't adequately process your your circumstances without connecting with God. You can't adequately process what you're going through, what's happening in your life without connecting with God. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not necessarily talking about those good things because we don't grow in good things. Very rarely. The times that we grow is when things get hard and you can't adequately process the things, the pain, the troubles that you're going through without connecting with God. And if you notice in that story, you can also pull this out, that you have to be patient and wait for an answer. Because here's what happens, we want the answer now. We are in a culture right now where I ordered something for my birthday. My birthday was a long time ago, but I had birthday money left. And I ordered a water bottle at 3 o'clock on a Friday. And by 10 o'clock the next morning, it was on my doorstep. And I'm like, that's awesome. Because we want it now and get, of our, get out of our way if we can't get it. So we need to be patient and wait for an answer. And he entered into this time with God and sought understanding. So we come to this point. It's understandable why we may lean in, and we probably don't believe in karma. If you're a Christian, you probably go, Yeah, karma's bad. But we lean into this principle. Even we may stick our toe into this principle and say, mm, You know, it kind of makes sense. We assume that being on God's side should bring good things, and that being on the other side, the bad side, should bring bad things. Very noble. In one of his latest books, it's called The Most Excellent Way to Lead. He writes this quote, luck is what people wish for when they have no vision for the future. We don't involve God unless we're desperate. Now, as a student pastor, let me use a student example because I know every single one of you in this room have done this. You walk into a classroom. I've never done this, by the way. Walk into a classroom and the teacher goes, today. Dear God, (laughs) (sighs) totally forgot there was a test today. I blew it. Can you get me through this? And I know we've been there and we've done that, but luck is what people wish for when they have no vision for the future. And we want things to work out in the midst of it. We want luck to bail us out and we didn't do the work to get into it. Luck has this illusion of being future focused, but all we want it to do is bypass the present. Which maybe the present is exactly where we need to be at that moment. Where I think you grasp this is that God is not this genie where we get a couple of wishes, three wishes. Or anytime we need something, we go, oh. It doesn't work that way that karma is not true and honestly luck really doesn't exist so what do we do with that well let me give you a personal example of the past couple of months of my own life and let me just be vulnerable for a minute a couple years ago i've been married a long time been married almost 18 years and a couple years ago my wife and i were um, talking and she was complaining about her throat and I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you. I kind of just moved on from it, but she continued to complain um, through her throat, and she said she's having trouble breathing and even trouble swallowing, and I'm like, well, we need to get that checked, and so we were living in Illinois at the time, and and she went to the doctor, and um, they they noticed that she had some uh, growths around her thyroid, and they did a biopsy of that and uh, they took it out and there's nothing wrong with it no cancer and they said you know what you can just kind of hold off on that until it gets really uncomfortable and so we that's what we did and she just dealt with it and dealt with the uncomfortableness and and just kind of went through it we ended up moving here and uh, this past fall she said you know what they're getting bigger it's noticeably bigger and we need to get this checked. And so she went back and they did a biopsy right there at that first appointment and checked it again. And if you know anything about biopsies, this was the second and they said there's 92% chance if this one comes back negative, that there's no cancer in, in any of these, and, which is awesome. And so it came back and it was negative. There was no cancer and we were like, yeah. And so they're like, but why don't we make an appointment since it's being uncomfortable and since it's causing you to even, when you're you know working out and things of that nature, it's causing problems, <coughs> excuse me. She, and so we're like, let's make an appointment with a surgeon. So three months later, uh, in January of this year, January 26, we went to this surgeon, and the surgeon was an amazing Christian man and talked a long time just to us as people and then got into the diagnosis, and he says, if this, and this was the key statement, if this was my wife or if this was me, I'd get this out sooner rather than later. Okay. So we kind of looked at each other and we said, that makes sense. Let's do that. Let's get this out. And he looks at us, and, and I think he might have gone out and come back in He says, how's Monday? We were thinking like end of summer, beginning of fall, sooner rather than later, but he's like Monday. And he's like, I'm just, I, I really feel that it needs to come out. So it happened. Uh, in February, the beginning of February, we, we got it out, and my wife is like an amazing. I married up like 38 steps and went through, the, went through the surgery, and she did amazing. And the next morning, we're sitting there, and And she is, um, you know, eating and being able to even talk after taking out these huge, and that's what the surgeon says, they're some of the biggest he's ever taken out. And he walks in and he says, we found cancer. We were one of the eight percenters. And he goes, it's the Cadillac of cancers, which doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, Cadillacs are pretty sweet, but the thyroid cancer is the Cadillac of cancer. I guess that's awesome. Thank you. And it scared us to death. And he said... I'm almost like 98% sure that I got every bit of it, which is pretty cool to hear. But I processed with some of the guys that I'm accountable to and, and they helped me walk through it and, and it was kind of a scary time. But during that time, and, and some of you know this, when, how you deal with stress, that's a stressful moment for us. So what I do is I love to ski, I love sports, I love watching sports, cheering on <clears throat> the Broncos, um, yep, yep, um, I got like seven Bronco fans. We just won the Super Bowl, come on people. Um, and I, so I joined an old man's basketball team. Um, and so I'm kind of old and I'm kind of chunky and I'm like, this is perfect. Are we play in half court, that's what I wanna do. No, we play full court. Um, but we were winning one of these games, and if you know anything, I, I coached basketball for 11 years uh, in a high level in Illinois and um, love basketball, and I'm going to win. I'm going to do everything I can to win, and, and so I remember top of the key, we're stalling because we've got the lead, and we've got like three minutes left in the game, maybe six, I don't remember, but I remember sweeping the ball through, and I put the ball down on the ground, and I pushed off with this left foot, and it was like somebody came behind me and like totally kicked me, and I thought my shoe exploded. And you know, as a guy, you're about ready to turn around and drop down and throw throw some punches because somebody just tripped you. So I turn around real quick and I'm on the ground. My defender's in front of me. There's nobody there. I'm going, what? I didn't have any pain at that particular point, but I knew something was wrong. This was February 28th. So this is three weeks after my wife's surgery. And I stand up and I put weight on that left foot and I go, there's the pain. And I had blown out my Achilles, which is a kind of a big deal, but it's, it's a ligament. It can be repaired. Got MRIs, confirmed it all. And then I, I was in surgery a week later and had surgery, which is a, I guess a big deal. I don't really know. I wasn't awake for it, but um, they gave me surgery and I started to heal. Maybe, maybe many of you saw me around on a scooter. Well, what happened after that was three weeks, one day after that, I was sitting in my uh, in a meeting right behind this wall right here, and I was struggling. I was in pain. Uh, I had pain just like searing. I'm, like, I'm kind of a wuss anyway, but I, I can kind of tolerate some pain, and it's it's hitting me just right here, and I'm just going, what's going on? And I couldn't breathe. And I, I, Those of you who have asthma, that just scares me to death because I've never had any sort of breathing problems, and I couldn't even take just a little bit of air in. And I went to my office and, and I had meetings and I was working on a message in between those meetings of people coming to my office. That's one of my main jobs is coaching people. And, and uh, I texted my wife around 10, 30 or 11 and I said, um, I'm struggling. I'm in some serious pain that, that I've never ever experienced before. And like I said, I married up and, and my wife goes, um, we'll call the doctor. And she didn't put this in her text message, but I know she thought it, you idiot. <laughs> what am I going to do? You know. <laughs> so me being the, 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 the strong man that I am, I said, I'm going to wait till after lunch. Because I think it will go away. Because that's what happens with pain. It goes away. And so I am sitting in my office and I finished my last kind of meeting of the day. And I had the rest of the day to actually work on a message that I needed to get done. And about 2 o'clock rolls around and my wife walks into the door and she, she goes, how you doing? And I'm like, I can't move. The pain was so bad and it was actually scaring me, which I've never had before. And I couldn't even move. I'm sitting there at my desk. People would walk in and I go, hey, how you doing? And she goes, we need to call the doctor. So we called the doctor and both doctors, my general um, practitioner and then the ortho doctor did my surgery. Both were like, you need to get to the ER. At that point, my secretary, um, Christy, my admin assistant, comes in, and she, if any of you know Christy, she, she grabbed my ear and picked me up and said, you're going to the ER. She didn't grab my ear, but it makes it sound better. <laughs> and so I put on this false front, and I get tough, and I, I get onto my cool scooter, um, and I'm going down the hallway of the offices, and I get out the door, and people are like, goodbye, and I'm like, hey, goodbye and everything's fine and I turned the corner and I could not make it to the car it took me 10 minutes to take 15 steps I couldn't take any breath in it was scaring me to death and I got into the ER and I have been to a lot of ERs as a pastor and even as a patient and when they rush you in kind of scares you even more and they sat me in this chair and they started putting all these sticky things all over me. And they said, we got to check your heart. I'm like, it's not my heart. I'm like, we got to check your heart. I'm like, it's not my heart. I'm not paying for these. <laughs> I got the bill last week. I'm paying for those. Um, $36. Um, but I'm not paying for those. And they're like, so five minutes later, they all the echo, whatever it is, got done. And, and they, they, they looked at me and says, well, it's not your heart. And I'm like, Within 30 to 40 minutes of being in the ER, I was in this round tube getting um, a CAT scan. And I'm sitting back after the CAT scan, which is a weird experience in itself, and the doctors, plural, came in and they said, you have between 30 and 35 blood clots in your lungs. And I went, okay, I don't know what that means. cool, so I can't breathe. We figured it out, fix it. And they go, What has happened is you're, because of your surgery, it's gone up your leg and it's gone into your, the four chambers of your heart and then processed through into your lungs. And they said, A lot of people die from one. And you've had between 30 and 35 of them go through the four chambers of your heart, which means between 100 and 150 times, you should be dead. And I think I looked at my wife at that point, and I think it scared, scared us, and they said, you cannot move for 48 hours. Don't go to the bathroom. Don't roll over in bed. Don't get up. Don't turn. Don't do anything for 48 hours. And Then he proceeded to tell us stories of people who did and died, and then you look at them and go, <laughs> you're not moving. You're not going to do anything, and I could feel it. It was one of the scariest things that we have ever been through. That night it was Tuesday night. Finally got into a room around midnight, and and um, my wife stayed by my side and didn't move the whole next day. And and by that evening they said you're 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 still in the forest, but you're out of the woods. And I didn't know what that meant, but I was getting better, but I wasn't there yet. And I said, honey, why don't you take the kids home? They'd been staying at one of the staff members' houses, and. And why don't you take the kids home and, and, and get a good night's sleep and come back and see me in the morning. I'm going to be okay. And she agreed. And so about 7, 7.30, she left that Wednesday night, which is, if you know anything about what I do, that's youth group night. And I remember her leaving and me kind of just sitting in the bed, enjoying the, <laughs> I was actually playing with the button, going up and down. And I was sitting there, and I started to argue with God. And I started going, do you know what I did for you? Do you know? I uprooted my family. That's the only place they've ever lived was in Illinois. I uprooted them. I came to Rapid City, South Dakota. 90% of the people outside of South Dakota don't know where South Dakota is. And I relocated my family here because you called me. And God, I am grateful for that call, but why would you stick me in this hospital room where I have to stand here and do nothing? There's nothing on TV. And I have to sit here and be still for 48 hours when you are doing your work back at the church. Why? Now, if you know anything about hospital rooms, I didn't say that audibly because I would end up at a different hospital. said that all up here in my head, but I had this argument and conversation with God that I said, it does not make sense. Why would you have me go through this process if, if you're just going to keep me from doing what you call me to do? And that's um, when I had a life-changing moment. because God put this peace over my heart that he said, Jake, I've got it. I know what I'm doing. And at that particular point, you you may think, you know, as a basketball coach and all that kind of stuff that I'm I'm a crier. I like to cry. I just don't show anybody that I like to cry. And I just was bawling my eyes out in that room because for the first time in my life, 39 this peace came over me and this contentment and this joy that i've never experienced before and i felt as if i was this child of god there's a verse out there that came to 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 my heart that just kind of stuck stuck to me in, in philippians 4 13 it says i can do all things and the key word for me was through him And I remember just sitting there just with this overwhelming peace. Because here is what counts, and this is huge. What if the process is more important than the product? Because here's the fact of the matter. Here's the product. I'm fine. I got a pretty sweet scar on my leg. I have no residual uh, effects from the blood clots. But what if this right here is more important than anything else that happens? What if we have this loving God, and he's not evil, he's this loving God that says, I'm gonna put you through this process that is gonna show you and refine you and change you forever. The next morning, my wife came in about nine o'clock and like we were dating again, it was like, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was excited to see her, and, and she walked in and, and, and sat down and, and on the chair, and I just remember countless times, I just had my arm over the, you know, the bed frame there, and I had my hand on her knee, and she was grabbing on, and we would just sit there in this peace, this comfort, this joy that I have never experienced in my life, because the process is more important than the product. It says in James 1:2: consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. How, how could you consider it joy in the midst of a trial, in the midst of pain, in the midst of something hard? Because, and there's, this is true, the difference between joy and happiness is so big, Happiness is circumstantial, it is temporary, it's like 10 minutes, it's like because you get a new car, which that smell does not last, which I wish it would, but it doesn't last, it's temporary, the car will rust and rot and and decay and be gone, but joy is based on a foundation on something different, and for the first time in my life as I sat in that room, I experienced what it meant to be a child of God, and I experienced pure joy, and I had the privilege of having my wife right next to me. We didn't have to say anything. We didn't have to have TV on. We could stand in the presence of our Savior because the process is more important than the product. In fact, that process shifted who we were. I became a better pastor. I became a better father. And I for sure became a better husband. Because that process taught me what it means to be a child of God. What if God is not evil and he's putting us through a process that is forcing out the junk? In fact, what if it's the kindest thing he's ever done for us? Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, but it's kind of the whole story there. Jesus is telling Peter that he is about to be sifted like wheat. Now, some of you may be, this is kind of wheat country around here, and if you know anything about what happens in a combine, it's, it's an amazing process. But you take this whole piece from, from you know, the stem to, to everything that goes with the piece of wheat, and it actually goes into the combine. I want to get this right. It's actually shaken hard. It's beaten and agitated until it practically falls apart. And what's left is this fruit. And what Peter is telling, uh, what Jesus is telling Peter right here is like, Satan's going to do this, and I'm going to let this happen. And, 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 and the interesting is that, Peter, it's going to show you who you really are. Because that process is more important than the product. Sifting is that jumping off point for a rigorous, rigorously honest, deeply challenging, yet powerfully Comforting exploration of the trials that we tend to allow to beat us down and the good God who allows them to happen because he knows that it will reveal something amazing in us. That process changed me forever. I will remember that Wednesday night in that hospital room for the rest of my life. And maybe right now, you're in the middle of that process. Mine was kind of with two scares there and an injury, and mine was a couple months. I just started PT. Oh. so maybe that's a new process. But maybe you're right in the middle of that process and you're trying to to get a glimpse of what God is doing in your life and you're trying to to figure it out and all I can tell you is find the joy in any process because it'll refine you, it'll mold you, it'll change you, it'll make you better. Now, for those of you who have never crossed the line of faith, you're just checking this church thing out, this Jesus thing out, which I think is amazing. I, I... We have painted a pretty accurate picture. Hopefully we haven't given you any impressions that it's not. It's not that the Christian life is is this hard, rigorous thing. It's just that that's the way life is. And straight from me, there's nowhere else I'd rather be than in that process. Because I am a child. Lord, it's hard for me to even say this, but um, thank you for the processes that you have put into my life that have changed me, that have molded me, that have broken me, that have made me weak. It made me question and it made me seek understanding and I thank you that you have placed people by my side that will walk with me. That walk alongside me and that you carry me and I know that to be true for other people in this room if not all of them that their processes are painful but yet teach us Lord to have joy in the midst of pain we thank you for you for sending your son to die for us and that you walk and carry and push and shove and sift us to make us who we're supposed to be which is that child of God that child of yours that you love more than anything Lord we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.